Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. Matthew chapter 6, I want to begin in verse 25. Jesus is teaching and he says in his uh, message that we should not take certain thoughts. A few Sunday nights ago, the Lord moved in a specific way and I'm going to just follow that emphasis tonight and continue to help us to recognize the importance of framing our mind in a, a, a way that provides a structure for God to speak to us and provides a defense against the wrong thoughts of the enemy. And so in Matthew six twenty five, Jesus said, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life. The Amplified emphasizes, take no anxious thought. Take no anxious thought. The, the thought that he's talking about is worry. Thoughts that provoke worry or fear or uh, anxiety. He says, don't take those. You have an option not to. Amen. Not just an option, according to Jesus, an instruction not to. A command, don't take worried thoughts. They will come to every one of us, but none of us have to take worried thoughts. We have the ability to reject those thoughts and the responsibility because no one can govern your mind but you. No one can govern my mind for me. I am the only one who is qualified and responsible to govern my thinking. And so he says, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on. Those are necessary things. But he said, don't worry about them. He didn't say to be irresponsible and, and just ignore them. He said, don't take anxious, worried thought about them. When... When we recognize that worry is detrimental, it is poison to our system, it breaks down the mind, it weakens the mind, and, and if it's allowed to continue, we know science has proven that worry can cause physical maladies in the body. Worry can cause hypertension. Worry can cause ulcers. So, so we know this, the stomach, the digestive system of a person can be affected by a thought that comes in their mind that will cause their body to react in such a way that it produces the wrong chemicals in the stomach so that the stomach becomes full of ulcers by a thought. By a thought. So he says, don't think, don't allow, don't permit anxious, worried thought. And we're not just talking about worry. We're talking about wrong thoughts in general. We're talking about the responsibility to govern our thoughts and only permit the thoughts that God qualifies as being acceptable thoughts. Take no thought for your life. Verse 26. Behold. So instead of taking the wrong thought, turn your mind to something else, put something else in your eyes that will provoke a different thought. Yeah. Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap. They don't gather into barns. What is he wanting you to see about the birds? The birds don't have the authority of seed time and harvest. They don't have the ability that you have, the authority of the seed. Look at them and see how your father provides for them. Your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much better than they? 
So look at something that causes you to recognize the provision of God instead of worrying about what you don't have or what you may not have. Verse 27, which of you by taking thought, and again, in the original language, it's anxious, worried thought, which of you by taking anxious, worried thought can add one inch, one cubit unto his height, his stature? None of us. Worry isn't going to change the situation. Worry isn't going to make us grow. Worry isn't going to benefit us. There's nothing about worry that's profitable. There wrong thoughts, nothing about them are going to cause our lives to be enhanced or better. Why take ye thought, again, that's worried, anxious thought, for clothing? Consider the lilies. Again, turn your attention to something that displays the provision of God. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. So consider the lilies, how they grow. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you? Hallelujah. So take your attention off what the problem is telling you to look at and turn it to something that will remind you about the faithfulness of God or the provision of God or the healing power of God. Do you remember when they were being bitten by the snakes in, in the camp because they had complained? And in their complaining, they had lifted. They had caused the, the blessing of God, the protection of God to be lifted off of their life. And they came to Moses and said, we have sinned. We have sinned. Help us. We have complained about God. And now these venomous snakes are coming in and people are getting bitten. So they recognized what they had done and repented and God provided a remedy. He provided a protection, but because they had opened the door to it, they had a part in receiving the protection. He said, I'm going to put the snake, which represents the curse, on a brass pole, which represents the judgment. I'm going to you're going to lift it up, and when, when anyone looks, takes their attention off the snake bite, takes their attention off the pain in their leg, takes the attention off of the venom coming up their leg, and the, the maybe paralyzation or, or the, the burning. Don't think about the burning. What are you supposed to do? You're supposed to look at something else. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. You're supposed to put, turn your eyes to the fact of what's represented there. He became cursed for me. Hallelujah. And with that, they were able to negate the, res the, the results of the snake bite. The snake bite didn't have power over them when they had their attention on the redemption, when they had their attention on the provision of God. So we are responsible to turn our attention. It's available. The protection's available. The provision's available. But we initiate it with our attention. So he says in verse 31, Therefore... This is why I'm telling you, take no thought saying. Now, he's just identified how people take thoughts, how wrong thoughts come into people's possessions. When they verbalize them, when they give voice to the wrong thought, now it has a different activity than when it was just up here trying to work in the mind. Now they've taken it into their possession by saying, what? Shall we eat? That's a question. What shall we drink? Wherewithal shall we be clothed? Picking up that question and verbalizing what the thought started as, as bringing a question of doubt, that, that bringing it 
into my possession by speaking it now causes it to have a different activity in my life. It's now got authorization, verbal authorization to work in my life in a way that it didn't have when it was just a thought. Hallelujah. So we've got to recognize that Jesus has given us these instructions and given us a specific uh, uh, design to deal with the worried thoughts that will come to any and everybody, but just because they come doesn't mean they have to have any operation in our life. Brother Hagen used to say, you can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can stop him from building a nest in your hair. And if the thought is allowed, if the thought comes, that doesn't mean you have missed it or failed. That means you've got a response that needs to be taken. That you've got to take that thought captive. That you've got to cast it. That if you take it captive, it will never become an imagination. If, if you're at the point that you've got to cast down imaginations, you have allowed the thought to have its, its action, its productivity in your life, so that now it has visual aid with it. It has a video that plays in your mind. And then it has to be dealt with differently, not just taking it captive. Now I've got to cast it down. I've got to know in the name of Jesus, that's not my thought. I refuse that. But if I take it captive, it's weaker. If it gets to the point that it, and, and let's just look at it so that if you, you, you can put your eyes on what I'm speaking about. 2 Corinthians 10 and 3 says that, Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. What are they? They're spiritual. The weapons that we work with are spiritual weapons. They're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and Casting down every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. When Satan said to Eve, did God say? You shall not surely die. He took you shall not surely die and he exalted it above what God had said to her. God said, if you eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. And Satan just took his thought and placed it a higher in God's uh, higher than God's thought and said, oh no, you shall not surely die. And as long as she left it there above, it had, it, it was, it was operating above what God had said in her life. And she never cast it down. She never said, no, that's not what God said. God said, she should have verbalized what God had said. She should have restated what God had said. She should have, have enforced what God said because thoughts don't have the, uh, the ability to overcome thoughts. You've got to deal with thoughts with words. You've got to verbalize the resistance to those thoughts. To, our, our spiritual, our weapons are spiritual. You are a spirit. You are a speaking spirit. To, for you to get what's in your heart out into operation, Matthew 12 says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. This is the outlet to bring out of my spirit into manifestation what is, is operating in my spirit. So if, I'm, uh, if my heart is full of faith, faith isn't operative till I'm speaking it. Faith isn't manifesting, faith isn't dealing with anything is in the thought arena because faith doesn't work in the mind. Faith is of the heart. With the heart, man believes. Faith operates by believing and speaking. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Faith operates by believing and speaking. It's not enough to try to use thoughts 
to cast down imaginations. It won't work. For an imagination to be dealt with, there has to be a, a... the weapon of our warfare, a spiritual weapon that comes out of our spirit and, and confronts the wrong thought. Jesus is our demonstration. He's our example. When Satan came to tempt him with wrong thoughts and, and said, if you be the son of God, take these stones, turn them into bread, Jesus did not use his mind to deal with that temptation, to deal with that wrong thought. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God, and it operates in the mouth of the believer. The sword of the Spirit is not the written word in the page of the book. That's the, that's the logos. That's the, it, that's the teaching instrument. That's what, what feeds us. This is bread for us. But the... This, the Sword of the Spirit, the Word, is rhema. The Word of God is the spoken Word. The Word that we take and we form it in our spirit and we release spirit power in the Word. And so the weapons of our warfare being spiritual means that we're going to use our mouth if we're working them. And when we're in a, a battle in the mind, our mouth has to be moving. If your thoughts are out of control, if you are thinking thoughts and you're like, I can't quit thinking that thought every time I try to stop worrying about that situation, my mind just clicks back on. You can be there tossing and turning all night long, trying to fall asleep, and your mind keeps going back to the problem and trying to figure out how to solve the problem. And you, how do I make my mind stop? Start talking the word. I mean, just take your mind under control. Dominate it. Listen here, mind. You are my mind. I'm in charge of you. You're not going to run in that direction and think about that problem. I'm going to think on the word and start quoting the scripture. If you have to get up out of bed, turn the light on, open your Bible, and read it straight out of the Bible. That will make your mind stop in that direction until you get it uh, uh, renewed. Amen? So the weapons of our warfare are spiritual weapons, and they operate with the might of God. And that word might is a, a word that is emphasizing the miraculous power of God, the dunamis, the strength of God. The, the weapons that we have are going to, to release and operate the power of God in that situation. Amen. And the thoughts, the imaginations, the things that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God and the strongholds are all in different levels of strength. A stronghold is the highest level of strength. In the original language, when it, this word began, it, in the Old Testament, we see it as a fortress, a place of safety. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. It's talking about a refuge, a place you would go for protection. But by the time of this writing to the uh, Corinthian church, the word had changed in meaning so that it, the word stronghold now represented a well-fortified prison from which there was no escape. But he says we have weapons that will pull them down. So no matter how strongly entrenched that thought process is, we can pull it down. So recognizing that these thoughts have different levels will help me maintain, if I get my thoughts cleaned out of the wrong thoughts, I pull down the strongholds. And I, this is, I can look back from my life from where I first entered into a walk with God to where I am today, and the renewing of my mind had that. The first thing I had to do was pull down things that had been so well built by the enemy in my life. 
And then I had to... I had to take those imaginations of fear and those imaginations of failure and I had to cast those down. But, and then I had to learn how to bring thoughts into captivity. But you know, today, I've, I've maintained my thought life. I've learned to renew the mind constantly by going to the Word, letting the Word correct my thinking, by governing what I listen to. I don't let just anything play in my house or in my car because I don't want to have to deal with the thoughts that it's going to provoke. I don't want to have to waste precious, valuable time and energy dealing with something that I wouldn't have to deal with if I didn't let that show play in my house. Glory to God. So a lot of, of activity, if we are just constant in renewing the mind, we won't have to be all the time dealing with strongholds and imaginations and taking things. We just learn to stop it at the door. We just take it captive at the door. Oh, no, 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 no. You don't come in my thoughts. I don't think that. I cast that down. I take that thought captive. You're to the obedience of Christ. Amen? So Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55, and this morning we kind of talked about, unintentionally, talked about using those weapons to help pray for other people, but tonight we're kind of looking at our responsibility in the mind. Isaiah 55, 7, God says, let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Oh, right. Thoughts. There are some thoughts that need to be forsaken. The word forsaken means to abandon. To forsake means to abandon. To quit or leave completely. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man forsake, abandon, quit or leave completely his thoughts. Glory to God. So it's possible for me to never think that way again. When I recognize that that's a wrong way of thinking, it is, it is possible for you to never fear another day in your life. It's possible. You can do it. You can train your thoughts to resist fear thoughts so completely that they never gain an entrance into your life. Because if you stop it at the thought door, it's never going to get in you to produce anything. God designed us to attend to his words, Proverbs 4.20. Attend to my words. How do you attend to God's words? He said, keep them in front of your eyes. Incline your ear to hear them. So the seeing them and the hearing of his words causes them to enter into the heart so that your heart can become full of them. Well, the same thing can be true if what a person is seeing and hearing is the wrong words. If they're seeing an evil report and they're hearing the evil report and that's all that they're seeing and hearing... That's what's being deposited in their heart. And when they get ready to open up their mouth and bring forth faith, it won't work because there's no faith deposited in the account. There's not been deposits made. Instead, the wrong deposits have been made of fear. And Jesus said in Luke 24 that there will come a day that men's hearts will fail them because they've been looking and dreading things that haven't even happened. So they were thinking it. They were thinking it. They were seeing the report. They were seeing the, the, the post. They were looking at it. They were hearing it over and over. And their heart got... He's talking about the spiritual heart of man. Their hearts will fail them. Why? Because they'll say, I believe God's going to keep me through this. But they won't have any faith if all they've deposited into their heart is fear, worry, anxiety then when they get ready to place a demand on faith, it won't be present 
because they haven't sown it. They haven't deposited it and their hearts will fail to produce what they need in that moment. So God said, there are thoughts we should completely abandon, that we should determine, I will never think that way again. I'm not going to allow. You know, your thoughts work with patterns. Thoughts are designed to follow a pattern. And so I, I, I recognized after I got saved and I learned that it's possible for me to refuse thoughts. I, that was a real deal maker for me. That when, when God began to reveal to me that I don't have to accept every thought, I was relieved because I was being bombarded in my mind with thoughts of addiction that I knew I'm, I'm free. God has set me free. Why am I thinking like this? Because that thought pattern had been established and I had to stop that pattern and replace it with a new one. But when I began to realize that I don't have to take those thoughts, I, 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 it also caused me to recognize patterns in other people. And there was one specific person in our family, an extended family, uh, who um, this person listen to talk radio all day. They, they had their own business, and so they just left it playing in the business. And so if they weren't busy, they were listening to that talk radio. And it was in, in Nashville, it was a, a talk radio that was just very critical and very uh, demeaning. And, and they were just, you know, it was, it was always stirring up strife. It was like strife, feeding strife through the airwaves. And I recognized that this person looked at everybody in our family through those same eyes, those same critical, those critical, um, demeaning, everybody else is always wrong and I'm always right. They had developed such a pattern of thinking that way that they looked at all of us that way. And I believe it was the Lord that helped me to recognize he listens to that all day long. And because he listens to that, that thought pattern, he's, he's listening to everything they're presenting about what was going on in the community or what was going on in the news or whatever. He's listening to that with them telling him how to think about it critically, judgmentally, negatively. And it developed a pattern so that he saw everything that way. And here's my mind being renewed, and I'm seeing everything positively. I'm seeing everything from God's perspective. I'm seeing the hope. I'm seeing forgiveness. I'm seeing love. I'm seeing, I'm, I'm seeing uh, a, a thought pattern that, that comes from the word. Because look what God said here. God said, forsake the wrong thoughts. Forsake the, way, the wrong ways. The unrighteous man needs to completely abandon his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. So I, he said, return to me. What, in returning to me, he's saying, return to my way of thinking. Abandon and forsake your critical thoughts or your negative thoughts or your worried thoughts or your fear-filled thoughts, abandon those. They are detrimental. They are poison. They weaken the mind. They break down the immune system. Don't, don't allow them, abandon them completely. Never allow them their operation in your mind again. And then come and take my thoughts. Come and begin to see my ways and my thoughts. So God's offering them to us and he offers them to us in his word. The next thing he says is about his word, which contain his ways and his thoughts. If you want the ways of God, here they are. If you want the thoughts of God, he's made them encapsulated in his scripture so that we can ingest them. We can partake of them. Yeah. Hallelujah. He says, as the rain comes down or as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. So he's offering 
a higher way of thinking. As the rain comes down, as the snow from heaven and returns not there, but waters the earth and causes it or, or uh, um, makes it, causes it to be productive, makes it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be. He was just talking about his ways and his thoughts. But he said, but they're in my word. And if you will take my thoughts, you'll be receiving my words and they will cause your life to change. They will cause your life to shift in the direction that I have for you. The way to walk in his ways and the way to experience his light in your thinking is to accept his word into your spirit. So he said, my word that goes forth out of my mouth, it shall not return unto me void or empty, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. So to deal, to accept the word of God, how do you take a wrong thought? By saying. So how do you take a God thought? By saying. So he said, take my ways, take my thoughts by taking my word and my word will not return empty. When it goes to work in your life, it's going to work. It's going to produce in your life. It's going to shift your life in the direction that I have planned for you. And how do you take his words? By saying. So we put the word of God in our mouth instead of the negative, destructive ways of thinking. And we, it will not only change our perception, but it will also begin to manifest in our life. Amen? So the thoughts, again, are not just worry or fear, although those are some of the most dominant uh, in the attack that the enemy uses against people. Uh, but 1 Corinthians chapter 13 identifies wrong thoughts. I want to read in verse 5. In this dissertation about the love of God. He said, let me show you a more excellent way, something that operates even higher than the gifts of the Spirit, the working of miracles, the, the uh, gift of tongues, uh, interpretation of tongues. Let me show you a more excellent way. And he begins to explain about the love of God being operative in the believer and in verse 5, he identifies how the, the love of God in operation is going to govern the way that we think. It says, love does not behave itself unseemly. Love does not seek her own. Love is not easily provoked. Love thinks no evil. Love thinks. So now I know that I'm... I'm allowing the love of God to have such a, a, a directing, controlling, or I don't want to use the word controlling, that sounds negative, uh, such a guiding way in my life that it will guide me to think thoughts that are lining up with love. The love of God, when it's operating in me, is going to direct me and instruct me if my thoughts get into a negative, wrong thought against someone. So it says, love thinks no evil. And for us to grow, love-governed thinking is a requirement for maturity. For a believer to grow, they must become loved governed in their thinking that they think in line with love god is love amen so we're talking about our responsibility to think 
in line with God's word, we're talking about our responsibility to, to police the thoughts in our mind and our responsibility to cast down or to take captive the wrong thoughts and to enforce or put in place the thoughts that God has provided and love is going to direct us in this thought governing responsibility. Love thinks no evil. Hallelujah. In recognizing the responsibility to think in line with love, we see the command that Jesus said is of the greatest. He said, love God with all of your heart and love your neighbor. And upon these two commands hangs everything else. If you'll fulfill these two, he calls it the royal law. The Bible calls it in the book of James, the royal law of love. That we are under a, a we still have a command. Amen? And it's a love command. And it's a command that is not going to end when this church age ends. When we get to heaven, we're going to live together in heaven until we come to the earth again. But we're going to live forever together. And God's never going to lift the love command and say, okay, y'all don't have to walk in love anymore. It is no longer. No, 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 no. God is love. And the love command is something that we are going to be under for eternity. So we might as well go ahead and get skilled and proficient in the love command. And he says that the love has a, a control or a device in love that will help you think in line with love. Love thinks no evil. So we've talked about worry thoughts. We've talked about fear thoughts. We've talked about the anxiety. We've talked about, uh, but, but let's talk about thoughts that can hinder our love walk. Jeremiah 29, 11. God thinks thoughts towards us. How many of you love this scripture right here? This is one of your favorites, right? God thinks about you. Doesn't that make you feel good? Doesn't that just warm your heart to know that God has thoughts that he's thinking about you and I? He said, I know the thoughts that I think toward you. I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you an end and an expectation, an expected end. He said, I have thoughts that are love-governed thoughts towards you. The thoughts that I have towards you are not evil. And he holds us to that same thought pattern. This is the thought pattern that God has towards us. And it's the thought pattern he wants us to have towards other people. The word thoughts... In this original uh, Hebrew language, it means something that any, anyone meditates, purposes, or plots. So it's not just a, a, a random, oh, I thought about you, but it's a plan, a purpose, a thought. It's something that is meditated or purposed or, or plots. And God says, I know what I purpose for your life. I know what I've been plotting about you. It's good. It's good. Oh, just wait and see. It's so good. You're going to like this. I've been thinking. I've been plotting. I've been, I've been scheming of ways to bless you. I've been preparing. I've been meditating on how I can position you to receive my very best, right? Those are the thoughts he thinks towards us, and that's the thoughts he wants us to have to each other. Love thinks no evil. Love thinks about how I can help them, how I can do them good, how I can bless them. These are the thoughts that we meditate, that we purpose or plot. The word in the original, when it says uh, the thoughts that I think, it is the mental effort to think, and it also means esteem, regard, or value. Esteem, regard, or value. 
I know the thoughts that I esteem towards you, the plans, those purposes that I esteem, that I value, that I regard. And so he is saying, my thoughts are thoughts that always put you up and say, they are so great. I love them so much. They are so valuable to me. I esteem them as essential in my life. Amen? And God wants us to have thoughts that esteem others by the blood. That we're not looking at each other in the natural, knowing each other by our human standards, but we're recognizing that's my blood-bought sister. That's my blood-bought brother. This is someone that God thought so highly of that he sent his son Jesus to hang on a cross and to pour out his blood and pay the price to redeem them. And if God thought so much about them, how much should I think about them? That we know each other, not after the flesh, but we know each other after the value that God has placed on each one of us by purchasing us with the blood of Jesus. That we begin to in our relationship, have those thought patterns in place. Because what the enemy does is he'll, if he can't get fear, if he can't get worry to operate, if he can't get anxiety to have a place, he'll, he'll take criticism. He'll, he'll take that. Why? Because it's just as poisonous. It weakens the mind. It breaks down the immune system just as much as a fear-filled thought or a worried thought. To have criticism and bitterness and to harbor unforgiveness, those thoughts cause poisonous reactions in the lives of the people who think them. And so God says you've got to abandon those thoughts you've got to forsake you've got to say criticism is not my way of thinking i am not a critical person i am not a judgmental person i am a love governed thinker Woo! come on now that was worth you coming to church tonight and missing whatever you missed to be here you are a love governed thinker That's how we think. We think God's thoughts and God is love and his thoughts are love thoughts. And he says, my thoughts hold you in high regard. My thoughts hold you and esteem you in a place of value. Hallelujah. This is an important part of not only relationships in the body of Christ, but every relationship you have in your life. Whether it be with your children, adult children, you got to walk in love. You got to think love thoughts. Because the enemy would like for to point out everything they're not doing for God. The enemy would like to point out everything they're doing that's walking in the wrong direction. You've got to refuse the pattern of that thinking and you've got to put yourself over there in line with what the Word of God says and see great is the peace of your children. All my children are taught of the Lord. You've got to let those love-governed thoughts think about them because otherwise, whenever you do see them, that criticism that a person feeds on or allows to have its operation in their thought life, the moment they get around their children, it comes out by nagging. Nagging. Should I mention that God said, God put it in the Bible. In the In the Bible, it says it's better to live in the rain, the hail, the sleet, and the snow on the rooftop than to be in the house with a nagging woman. How did that woman get nagging? She's thinking the wrong thing. And it's it's misery on everybody in the house. Because one person was thinking the wrong thing. And that wrong thought generated wrong attitudes and wrong emotions until 
it made everybody's life uncomfortable. And God said, it's better to live out dealing with the elements than to be inside the house. And you know, it's not just in there once. It's not just there once. I mean, it's like three different times in the book of Proverbs. It says it's better to, to, to be anywhere else. Live out in the, in, in, in the wilderness than to be inside with that woman. But that is not you. None of our faith builders women are nagging women. We are Proverbs 31. We're living Proverbs 31, aren't we? Praise God. So when my husband and I, we had been married just a few years. We were both zealous for the Lord, but immature in our walk with God. And we were learning, and we were growing, and we were attending church, and we were serving in our local church. And and uh, pastor was even uh, preaching there in that local church at that time. And um, one of the things that I specifically remember and how God dealt with me had to do with my thoughts because we would have a disagreement and at the time he worked for an insurance company called Blue Cross and Blue Shield and so I was at home with the children all of our children were young and uh, I even had some babysitting children at the time and so he would go to work after our argument and he would interact with other people. His mind was not thinking about our argument. He had not even considered it since he walked out the door. But I was at home with all these little children. And, the, and, and I was dealing with the children but thinking about the argument. And I'll tell you what I was thinking. What I should have said. I had a list of things I should have said by the time he walked in the door that night. Because I'd been meditating on it all day long. Ooh, I should have told him this. And ooh, I'm going to remember this. I'm going to bring up how this happened back then. And so I had all this list. And so when he opened the door, he's ready to come home to dinner and the family. And he's like, hey, how are you doing? I, and I just picked up where we left off. And I was at level 10 because I'd been meditating on it all day and fuming and just building in the argument. You know, I was at level 10 and he has already dissipated and the argument's gone. And he is like, what? What? You know, it's like it took him a minute to even find out where to pick up on the argument because I just picked up where we left off and, and rehearsed to him everything I'd been rehearsing all day long. And all of my jabs and my getbacks that I I'm going to tell him that. I'm going to tell him that. And one day I was in the midst of rehearsing the argument. And the Lord, the Lord came in my laundry room where I was folding clothes and fuming. I'm going to tell him when he gets home. I'm fuming and folding. And the Lord comes in the laundry room and he said, you are thinking covenant-breaking thoughts about your husband. And I'd never thought about it that way. I just was wanting to be right. That's not a love-governed thought, is it? Does love want to be right? No, that's not the motivation of love. Love wants peace. Love wants unity. I wasn't interested in unity. I was interested in proving him wrong and me right. But the Lord called it covenant breaking. And he said, you are allowing the enemy to bring thoughts to you that break the covenant down that I have joined together with your husband. I forsook that way. I recognized those thoughts were not even 100% generated. They, I, was, I was allowing them, but there were some things that I came up with supernaturally evil <laughs> to say. There were some things, I mean, it wasn't even in my flesh to say it that mean. It's like the enemy was handing me ideas. And I was like, ooh, that's a good one. I'm going to use that. 
oh, that's a good one. It's like he was just there feeding me. And I was like, that's right. And the more that he's feeding me these wrong covenant breaking thoughts, the more I'm like, that's right. I'm strengthening myself in that and practicing that thought. And I realized, wait, 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 wait. This is the marriage I prayed for. This is the marriage I asked God to bring into my life. This isn't the man from, the, 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 from my previous life before Christ who beat me. This is the man who loves me. Who is out working to provide for our family. Who is riding the bus to get to work. To provide for our family. Walking to the bus stop to ride the bus to work. 50, 55, 60 hours a week to provide for our family. And I'm sitting around because I disagreed with something he said. Feeding on thoughts that bring him down in my estimation. Not lifting him up, not valuing him. But break down. And then when he comes home, that's what he has to look forward to. Have mercy. Have mercy. Covenant-breaking thoughts. And I began to recognize when they would come, and instead of allowing my mind, I started opening my mouth. Instead of allowing my mind to pick up that thought and let it run its course through my thinking until I had a whole video, I stopped it with my words. And began to speak words of honor about my husband. And began to thank God for him. You, you want to you fix your marriage? Be thankful for your husband, for your wife. That will, will shift whatever disagreement. Whatever, if you'll start finding what you can be thankful for. And recognize your responsibility to honor each other. To prefer each other. Hallelujah. Those are thoughts. Those start in the thoughts. So we've got to think thoughts that are acceptable to the love command. That are acceptable to our God who is love. Because he knows the thoughts and the intents of your heart. He knows what you're thinking. And you can have the smile on your face. And you can look like you're, you're agreeing or look like you're honoring. But if your thoughts get in the heart, if it's wrong thoughts and they get in the heart, then it's eventually going to come out in a manifestation. Can we look at Proverbs 23, 6? Proverbs 23, 6. We've covered a lot of ground. And I'm I, just a couple of things I want to make sure we see here. Proverbs 23, we'll read 6 and 7. Eat not, eat thou not the bread of him that has an evil eye. <laughs> an evil eye. Can you show me amplified? It, it's the, this evil eye kind of. Uh, could help us if we amplified that a little bit. Eat not the bread of him that hath an evil eye, neither desire thou his dainty meats. The Amplified says, Eat not the bread of him who has a hard, grudging, and envious eye. So now we're talking about what he thinks. This evil eye is actually talking about the way he perceives and the way he thinks about you. This is a person who's grudging or envious or has negative evil thoughts. Verse 7, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, saith he to you, but his heart is not with you. In other words, he's not actually true in what he's saying. He's saying one thing, but his in, inside the thoughts that he's thinking, the perception that he has is a negative. The Amplified says, 
for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. As one who reckons, he says to you, eat and drink, yet the heart is not with you, but is grudging the cost. Yeah, go ahead and eat. But under, I hope they don't get seconds. <laughs> hope they don't get seconds. Right? Yeah, have as much as you want. My gosh, can they put anything more on their plate? He said, don't enter in. Why? Because that wrong thoughts, wrong thoughts towards others. Let's look at Matthew 5. Matthew 5. We'll start in verse uh, 27. You heard it. You have heard that it was said by them of old time, you shall not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whoever looks on a woman to lust after her has committed adultery with her already in his heart just because he's thought about it. So Jesus is saying, you've heard, but I'm telling you how it is. You've heard that, but I say to you that to think it is wrong. To think it is sin. Why? Because God is holding us accountable for the thoughts we permit. It's our responsibility. It's not God's responsibility to renew our mind or to govern our mind. He will hold us because how you think will affect how you believe. And how you believe is going to affect how you behave. You, if you think that you have a meeting tomorrow at 9 o'clock in the morning, you're going to get up and make arrangements with your day. You're going to leave your house because you think you have an appointment at 9 o'clock. But if you think that it's at 9 when it's actually at 8.30... Your thinking is not in line with the, with the truth. Well, I thought it was at 9. Well, it was at 8.30, and you missed the first part of the meeting, right? Why? Because you thought wrong. Because how you think is going to affect how you behave. And so if our behavior is wrong, what do we need to fix? Our thinking. If we're not... If, if, our, if, our, if we're, our relationship is continually having strife, I need to walk in love, but how do I, how do I walk in love? Love thinks no evil. So love is affecting the way I think. And especially about people I'm in covenant with. One of the main reasons people leave church is because they have allowed wrong thoughts about their pastor or about their brother or sister in Christ. Thoughts that are not love-governed thoughts. And they think, well, he's offended me. And that offense started as a thought. And they get moved away from the very place that God had ordained to feed them and help them grow because they did not govern their thoughts and restrict Wrong, covenant-breaking thoughts from having any entrance into their life. Take every thought captive. Take the thought captive. Hallelujah. So, we see here the responsibility for our thoughts. He said, if you think, if this man thinks he's already committed the sin by allowing the thought process... Because he's already in his mind, developed that thought and processed it. Now remember, thoughts can come, but that doesn't mean you have, you have taken them. That doesn't mean you have allowed them. If the thought comes like the temptation that came to Jesus or the temptation that came to Eve, they need to be answered, resisted. It doesn't mean I've sinned because the thought came, but if I take the thought and I allow it to operate, and if I allow it to have its activity until it begins to produce an action in my life, now 
I've got to go to God and say, God, I have thought covenant-breaking thoughts against this person. I've thought evil. Forgive me, Lord, for that thought. And repent for that thought. And then take that thought captive, not allowing it to, to have any more workings in the mind. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Mark chapter 6, and we'll stop with this. And he went from there and came into his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished. And it wasn't an, they weren't impressed. It, it didn't say they were impressed. They woo, listen to him preach. Come on in. They, they weren't saying that. They weren't saying that like, who does he think he is? Sitting in there in, in the service. Who can you and Matt? What don't we know him? Doesn't his sister live next door to me? Didn't his daddy build my table? They were astonished, saying, From where does this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary? What are they wanting to do? They're wanting to bring him down to a natural estimation. How we, God says, the thoughts I think towards you, the thoughts I esteem and I regard and I value you with, the purposes and the plans that I value you with, they are not esteeming him very highly. Here is Jesus who... Just raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. Having some of the greatest flows in his ministry that we see. He saw legion set free, went over to the other side of the lake. And not only did the woman who had the issue of blood for all those 12 years get healed. But Jairus' daughter got raised up from the dead. And then he comes into his own town in this flow of power, this flow of the anointing. And they look at him and say, that's the carpenter's son. Who does he think he is? The brother of James, Joseph and Judah and Simon are not his sisters here with us. And they were offended. They were offended because of what they thought about their answer, about the Son of God. God was speaking to them through Jesus, and they didn't hear it, and they didn't receive it. And Jesus said, if they reject or despise me, they're rejecting and despising the one who sent me. Yeah. Why? Because they weren't governing the way that they thought they allowed this offense and their thoughts hindered them. What they thought hindered them. Hallelujah. And it can be offense from in the congregation. Don't permit it. Don't permit it. It's not going to save you or preserve you to, to hold up this wall of self-defense. None of us. It would, be, it would be a greater safety for me to say, no matter what you do, I'm going to love you. I'm not going to be moved by offense. I'm not going to be moved by hurt feelings. I'm not, by feelings hurt. I don't let them get hurt especially not in the body of Christ, not amongst us. We've got to live together forever under the law of love, and love thinks no evil. In your marriage, let love govern your thoughts. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And especially with the things that are playing in your house, don't allow any things that are going to violate your peace to come through the airwaves into your house and make your house a place of worry and fear.
Hallelujah. We are people who are allowing the word of God to dictate to us how we think and how we believe. Amen. Let's stand to our feet tonight. Glory to God, how God prepares us, puts us out ahead. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Just lift your hands and tell him thank you for opening your eyes to see the importance of protecting your thought life, governing your thought life in line with love and in line with the word of God. Would you just say this with me? Father, I submit my thoughts for your inspection. I want to forsake, completely abandon every wrong thought process. Point out to me specific things that I am thinking that need to change. I am open to your instruction. I want your thoughts to be my thoughts. So I ask you, Lord, as I spend time in your word, give me understanding. Help me absorb your wisdom so that it helps renew my mind to think like you. Love govern thoughts are my way of thinking. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Lord, we thank you for love govern thoughts today. And Lord, I just declare over your people the strength to walk in that. And that you would even emphasize uh, to them the importance of making this their lifestyle. Lord, I thank you that we approve those things which are excellent in the name of Jesus.